Welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm Jamie Wojciechowski. And I'm Marilyn Brown. And today we are discussing mindful activism. I think we we talk about mindful activism a lot, but just I would love to hear what it what it means to you. Yeah. So to me, in a general sense, mindful activism, um, mindfulness is about awareness and and being fully aware. And so bringing awareness into activism is about being aware not only of um, how you how I approach something from my perspective, but also brought intentionally um, doing the work to broaden my perspective to include other other people's perspective that I don't automatically go towards. Um, I think that's, you know, what's really important about bringing mindfulness to activism is expanding my own perspective on whatever that topic is that I'm, that I'm approaching. Yeah. For me, a big part of it to go with that is balance. I feel Mm -hmm. mindfulness has a lot to do with, with balance in that, when talking about activism, it's not just understanding your own feelings. It's understanding the feelings of others. It's not just understanding your own ideas. It's understanding the ideas of others. And when you approach specifically activism or politics or anything from that way, you move from a place of understanding as opposed to judgment. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck and where movements get stuck is they become these judgmental places of this is what we want and it's it's a statement but it's not necessarily an action plan people don't necessarily understand how to do that within the system that we need to work in or how to change that system in order for new things to happen and and stuff like that right yeah yeah i think you're right i think it's important to to recognize that that judgment and mindfulness are not related judgment to when we judge something we're not being mindful and so you know and it's difficult because i think that that's a difficult concept to kind of understand because i think it's important to be able to say this this isn't right i i i i'm opposed to this um to, to this treatment or or to this issue i have a problem with this but but to also be able to bring a a level of um, non-judgmental perspective to the people who view things differently. Um, and so you can, you can have a, an issue with the issue, but not, um, but I think a lot of times we get caught up in judging the people who support the problem rather than actually, um, just like you said, coming from a place of, of being able to do, to, to work on making change. If, if we're judging, um, the people who are on the other side, we really can't move forward. And I think that's kind of where we are, where we are now with a lot of things is that we're caught up in this, um, you know, we're kind of on two sides of, of, of a lot of things and, and people are very polarized. And so it creates this space where we're not able to move forward at all. Yeah. And I think on the judgment aspect, mindfulness is very much about a journey. It's a, a never ending process. There is no destination to it. And I think that's where, judgment becomes a problem because what i see politically and across everything in human life is that judgment are these end results we got a certain amount of information and then we made an opinion and that's our opinion and now we're moving on to something else and there's these little like steps to it as opposed to 
what you're saying is, yes, you can have an opinion, but what you're leading with is a desire to understand. It's not to form opinions, which is what humans seem to want to do. We want to lead with our opinion. We want to have an opinion before we have information. Right. Yeah. And I think, again, we're, we're, we've talked about this in, in past talks, but I think we're wired to do that, you know? So that's kind of part of our survival is that we, we need to label things right away. That's good. That's bad. That's a threat. That's danger. Um, and you know, unfortunately it, it doesn't lead to us, um, having a very broad perspective about a lot of things It actually leads to us being very narrow, um, in our focus in order to, 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 um, block out things that don't fit with what we already believe, which we're seeing a lot of as well, where, where you will, you know, see people really kind of intentionally avoid, um, facts or opinions that challenge their own and just not want to let those things in. Again, that's a survival technique. And so when we're wired in that way and we're approaching the world, um, in fight or flight mode and in survival mode, then that's, it, it, that's how we, um, that's how we move through the world. And so mindfulness really is about working to come from a different perspective and, and slow things down and not, you know, not have to take a stance of, of judging whether it's good or bad, just being curious, just being able to find out more, um, which I think is so important. Yeah. It's, it's just, we've talked about survival before and it's, it's just so interesting to me because I feel like I agree with everything you're saying, and that's how we're wired to survive. But so few of us today live in a place where those instincts are beneficial. Oh, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we feel like we're we need to be in the survival mode, but we haven't. We're really not at that place. So it's almost counterproductive to be in yeah. it because you're shutting down and closing off when you're not in a life or death situation for right. real. So then you stop yourself from being able to actually do the things you need to do to move forward and make mm-hmm. your situation better. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. And I talk about this a lot with my clients that that's really what leads to anxiety. It's like, we're, we're looking for, you know, we're, we're kind of wired this way and wired for this survival. And yet we don't really need, um, most of these tools in our, our day-to-day lives. And so everything starts to feel like life or death. Everything starts to um, bring about that, that response and that anxiety level to up um, for us. And it's, it's, you know, it's really interesting to just kind of see how, you know, you look at, at, at little kids, you know, I think about like seven and eight year olds and, and just how they kind of are learning to approach the world with school and with, with, um, you know, conditioning around, um, team sports and things. I mean, we're, we're conditioned at a pretty young age to take a lot of things way more seriously than they actually need to be. And it, it, it's, it's, you know, we're having to kind of do the work to like decondition that and to take ourselves out of that place. And that, that work is a challenge and it takes practice. Yeah. And I think it's important to make the distinction between the political realm we're living in where yes, a lot of things are very intense and they need to be taken seriously versus it being something where we're in fight or flight mode. And I think that's what we're talking about. The difference is in survival is moving to this instinctual place. That's not, I don't want to say rational, but it's not, it's it's not mindful. This is the right 
the right word and then you get caught up in it. And I hear a lot of people say on on both sides and it's the it's the hypocrisy that exists, which is kind of the through line of what we've been talking about so far about the problem in politics being too much emotion being involved. And I I kind of go back and, and forth on this. They talk about the protesters and it being, oh, they're just upset. And it's they use very emotional words to to kind of discredit the way others are feeling, which mm-hmm. is funny because in doing so, they're expressing their own feelings. And then it becomes this back and forth of feelings and you never get to this intellectual place. Right. But it's it's also a balance that's needed there is that you can't just say, we can't think about people's emotions. We have to be intellectual and think about it rationally. Yes, you have to be rational, but you also have to, in that, take into consideration the way people are feeling and the experiences as many people as possible are having. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And I think that's why, you know, again, going back to mindfulness is so important because it's not just about being rational or seeing things on the rational side. You're, you're taking into account those emotions. And a lot of times that's when we're most effective when, when something that we feel is driving what we're doing. You know, I think that going back to talking about mindful activism, I think that mindful activism is something that feels important to you, you know, important in your life and important. It's something that, that you feel like you have to say something about, you have to, you have to work on it, whatever, you know, whatever that issue is. And I think that, um, passion is a very, very important and driving force. We can't, you know, take our emotions out of everything. Um, that's not how we function most effectively. We, we function most effectively when we're able to balance, you know, like you started out by saying, balancing our emotions with our rational mind and being able to kind of walk that, that middle path of both. Um, you know, and again, that's challenging. And I think that's why self-care is so very important um, and really needs to be the basis of any mindful activism work that someone is doing, that they have a solid, um, solid self-care ritual, that they feel balanced in themselves on a day-to-day basis um, before they're engaging. Because I think that this is, you know, it, it's, it is, it's walking a fine line. And in this climate, people um, are intentionally, I think, being provocative and, and intentionally trying to push people into that fight or flight response. And so we have to do even more work to kind of keep ourselves in a in a mindful and balanced place. Yeah. And you talk about in- engagement and uh, a distinction I want to make is in types of engagement and what mm-hmm. is kind of healthy engagement versus what I would consider non-healthy or non-mindful engagement. Mm-hmm. And what I see a lot happen is that people engage with others wanting to get their their point across or wanting to speak or wanting to act and they don't engage to connect. So they don't want to listen or they don't want to take new information in. And I think that's where things get very destructive on a self-care level. And Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! was on a panel and she was talking about the problem with the media from her perspective. And what she said paraphrase is basically that a big problem is so much of journalism today is reporting and giving opinion based on what people are seeing from outside of what's happening that journalists don't go inside protests and talk to the people they show the 
bird's eye view of the massive crowds and it's all this external viewpoint and they don't they don't go in and talk to people about what they're feeling what they're experiencing what they're wanting why they're out there and i think that's very much it's it's not just the media i mean i feel like that's how we as a society now kind of function from this we make judgments from outside without having any interest of going in and connecting with people and actually having the experience that doesn't necessarily change our mind but broadens broadens our mind to what's actually happening yeah yeah as as you were talking about that it actually just reminded me of an anthropology class that i took long time ago where they talked about that's that's how you learn about culture you don't you know you have to go in and 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 be a part of it and 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 that's how you and immerse yourself in it and and watch and listen and and really with the the intention to connect and that's how um that's how you learn and that's how you, how you can actually, um, you know, learn about these cultures. And so when you said that, it just made me think about that. Cause I think you're right. I think that, I don't know, you know, why journalism has skewed to this way. I don't know if it just has to do with screen culture and just kind of how different things are now, um, just in general. But I, I think you're right. I think that there, you know, it's much more, um, separate and it's, it's difficult to find, voices for people who are actually inside and actually experiencing these things. Um, and that's, that's a big challenge for sure. Yeah. I think it's just, we, we, it seems like we live in a society now where comfort is kind of the focus. People don't, don't want to be uncomfortable. And I think we see that in every aspect, but I think we see it very clearly in the media and that they show those images one because they they get more ratings and that's what our media now cares about but the reason they get more ratings is because they don't challenge people's belief system you know you show you show the big aerial shot of 750,000 people in Los Angeles marching and people say okay and they're able to form their own opinion so whatever their opinion was is if they supported it oh that's great look at all those people if they didn't support it oh look at all those terrible people like they need to get over it whatever it is yeah. it doesn't challenge them where if they were actually going in and talking to the people and people were at home who were watching were forced to actually listen mm -hmm. in an engaging way to what people are actually feeling that will challenge opinions yeah it'll challenge experiences and i think yeah. ratings go down because then people who don't want to be challenged don't watch and right, right. Yeah. so it's this big kind of circular problem that mm -hmm. is part of everything in our society at the moment definitely definitely but i i do think that one area of mindful activism that i don't think that we give enough credit to is engaging in your own personal life mm -hmm. with the people that you know and that you talk to um you're right. People do not want to be, people don't want to feel uncomfortable. And so they'll just turn the channel on something that makes them feel uncomfortable. Um, but it's a lot harder to change the channel on your family member who's, you know, maybe just expressing their views on one issue that um, that's important to them. And so I think we, I think that part of being mindful is also being willing to make ourselves uncomfortable and have those uncomfortable conversations and, 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 and find a way to engage in a way that's not completely comfortable. I don't, I don't think that this should be comfortable. People are not 
comfortable <laughs> with their rights being taken away. And so I think that's part of the problem. I think that you're right that we're kind of, you know, conditioned to like really just want things to feel good all the time and safe. And unfortunately, um, change doesn't happen that way. And so I think that even just being willing to have uncomfortable conversations with your loved ones is a way that people can really affect a significant amount of change and that's personal to them, you know? And so everybody doesn't have to feel, you know, I've, I have, there, there's kind of this, this struggle. I think people feel like there's been a lot of different protests and, and, and opportunities to um, physically go out and march and, people have gone and participated and people maybe haven't gone, but felt this like almost like a sense of like activism FOMO. And, you know, I kind of have to remind people, you know, your life, you know, you have to, you have to find a way to engage that that's effective and that works for you. And so um, we can't get frustrated with ourselves if we don't do everything that everybody else is doing. Like we've really got to find that kind of personal connection to what this means and why I'm engaging and why this is something that I can't look away from. Right. And I think too, this is an oversimplification of mindfulness, but the philosophy of mindfulness is very much a micro to macro philosophy with the micro being the, the idea of self. Um, and it, it really starts with you as a person. It's you being mindful with yourself. You're never going to be able to be mindful with your surroundings and people around you if you can't be mindful with yourself. And that starts with self self-reflection and leading with understanding with yourself and just really being being honest with yourself and digging deep without judgment or opinion, yes. just seeing what's really there. Because until mm -hmm. you know yourself, you're not going to be able to know other people. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I think you're, you're right on with that and, and, and challenging yourselves, yourself and your own beliefs. You know, I think that, that we all have to do the work to kind of challenge our own beliefs and, and, and yeah, and, and do that work. Cause I think, you know, there's a lot of just, again, I think it's on the comfort level of, of people engaging in ways that, that, that they've known and that, that, you know, it's hard because things are, 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 especially with the internet, it's like, you know, liberals are going to be targeted by liberal and progressive sites and that's what you're going to see. And so it's, it's difficult to get away from that. But I also think, you know, stepping out of your box and reading books by authors that are at a different, from a different background than you. Um, you know, one thing that frustrates me is that for some reason, any book that a black author writes gets put into African-American literature section, whether the book is about like mass incarceration or a comedy book, you know, but it's like venture into that, that section and, and, and read something that, that you may not feel like is for you, because I think there's a lot of um, work that we can do to even just kind of broaden our perspective with like what we, what we watch and what we read and what we take in. That, that helps us to come from a more mindful place when we are engaging. Especially, I think that's interesting with with fiction, because I think with nonfiction, it gets harder to take out your kind of bias in it. But if you have an author who you know has a different political stance or life experience, the way they write and the characters they write will be such great insight into why they're 
they have those thoughts and feelings and biases mm-hmm. and political leanings. And I think that's where we need to move in a more mindful direction is not just stopping, like we said before, at this is my judgment. It's at, it's saying, okay, I have this judgment, but two things. Why do I have this judgment? And yeah. two, why do the person I'm judging behave that way? Mm-hmm. So then you're learning about yourself plus that other person deeper. And once you get to that point, you can actually come up with solutions. One of my biggest, I guess, pet peeves um, is when people use the words good and evil. And the reason I have a a pet peeve about it is that it's often, it appears to me to often be a way to cut themselves off. So they say, this, this person's bad, what they did was bad, end of story, lock them up, throw away the key, that's it. And it's just, to me, I don't find it productive. Because where you actually find the solutions, then you're constantly at a place, if that's what you do, you're constantly at a place where when someone's bad, you lock them up, throw away the key, and then the next person who's bad comes up and you lock them up and you're just in that cycle forever. As Mm -hmm. opposed to if you let go of that judgment and dig deeper into, okay, I don't agree with this action or the way this person's behaving, but why do they feel that way? What caused them to behave that way? Then you can come up with actual solutions. You can make sure that people are put in those situations that make them act that way. You can learn about the psychology or whatever it is, and then you're actually reducing the problem as opposed to just kind of trying to hide it as if it doesn't happen or you're separating yourself from it. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think you're right. I think that there's just, again, it goes back to that kind of need to to categorize things. And when we do that, we lose so much. You know, we just, we lose so much. We lose connection. We lose, and we lose our opportunity to learn. You know, as soon as I put something over there as bad, then I'm not willing to learn from it. And I can't learn from it. Yeah, and I think, I don't know exactly what it, what it is, but... I don't feel, I feel like maybe people are afraid that, and this is, I think, a subconscious thing for the vast majority of people that their opinions are who they are. That's what they think. They think that their self-identity is based on their political ideology or, or any, any of those kind of things that you get judgmental on or grasp onto that it could be the music you listen to, the movies you, you start to, I, identify yourself with those things so then having those things challenged Mm -hmm. you do get into that fight or flight kind of place because it's almost like someone's challenging your identity Mm -hmm. and i i i think it's true to a point that when you do engage in mindfulness and understanding those layers do kind of strip away but Mm -hmm. in my own experience you don't lose your identity in that way you know, like there's been so many things mm-hmm. I've thought and I got more information and it broadened the way I thought politically or on a personal level or whatever. And I didn't lose who I was. I just, it just, it, it changed and adapted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, that we're, we're, we're complex beings. And, and I think the more we allow ourselves space to be, a lot of things to have different opinions and, and, and to allow others around us that space as well. We actually come to 
much more of an understanding and kind of a place of like empathy than we realize. I think that human beings, I, I really truly believe that we, we genuinely do have compassion and, 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 um, good intentions. And so I think when we kind of can strip away these layers of, of these things that we're so tied to that we think are our identity, um, it really can help us connect and, and actually see the value in our differences and opinions. Cause actually the differences and opinions are, are really helpful. And, and I think can help us to, to come to, you know, solutions and, and move forward when we're willing to listen and, and, and work together and be allow each other to kind of integrate that new information. And like you said, kind of allow something to challenge us and then integrate that, that new learning and, and still keep our identity, you know, but I also think to be able to do that, you do have to already be doing that self work and be in that place where you're kind of working on your own right. identity. And so, yeah, I think it, it, it really does go back to the self. Yeah. And you brought up the term complexity. And I think this is all tied into everything we've been talking about from safety to kind of the fight or flight is it seems like we have a need to oversimplify everything. And that goes to the wanting to categorize everything and all that instead of embracing the complexity or even acknowledging the complexity. I don't even feel like I see a lot of acknowledgement. Normally the the political fights I see are very partisan and both sides have simplified the situation to a very specific counter argument and that's kind of a back and forth and it becomes about who's more witty and there's nothing kind of really really happening and i think that's also part of us not wanting to feel uncomfortable and wanting to feel safe is that when it's simple we understand it and that's it we're okay with it when it's complex and it challenges uh, challenges us it it just makes us uncomfortable and we kind of and I see why we get into, because we're uncomfortable, we then are less rational. We go to this emotional place, and then that we're an emotional place, and then the people we're talking to are an emotional place, which makes us more emotional, which makes them more emotional, and you're on this kind of back and forth, yeah. and it keeps heightening until this tipping point, which the tipping point's an, an interesting concept for me, because I feel like politically we're very much nearing one. I don't think we're we're quite there yet, and I don't know how I feel feel about it because i feel that i wish we could not have to go to a tipping point and that we can find a mindfulness and engage in a different way without it but looking at history and looking at um just similar experiences i i, I see to the political experience i think of it almost being like drug abuse in a way mm. and how you hear so many people talk about it it almost being impossible to turn your your life around as an addict until you hit that rock bottom, whatever that rock bottom is for you. Mm -hmm. And so I fear us politically needing to hit that point. But then there's also a part of me that thinks maybe that's necessary for us to actually move in a more mindful direction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you're saying, because I've been thinking about this a lot, because I think that change happens through discomfort and through kind of the, the, the chaos. And, and I, I don't know how much chaos we need <laughs> to, right. to make the changes that we need. And, but it's hard. Cause even with, you know, I work with clients with addiction and everybody's 
rock bottom is different. different. You know, it's whatever that is for that person. And so I think that, you know, as a whole, what's our rock bottom? I don't know. Kind of feels like it right now, but maybe we're not there yet. <laughs> and we're, you know, we're on our way. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard because I think that I just, I don't know how we create the kind of change that needs to happen without fully getting to that point. Right. I don't know. And it's hard when so much is, is motivated by money. Um, Mm -hmm. that it just, that, that just is going to always win, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because I'm just, I'm so torn on, it's hard because I, I try to be rational and looking at history for clues and, and patterns and, and things like that on a very intellectual level. But there's also the fact that we're at a very different time than we've ever been with technology and with access to communication yeah. and a- access to just information of what's happening around the world. And there's so many pros and cons to it, but it's also no one you you can make predictions based on history and what you're seeing but no one really knows because there's never been a time like this and i i think part of me looks at history and says yes we need that tipping point but then i look at all the statistics from millennials and even the generation before them showing how much more progressive they are as a whole that's not yes the younger generation is always pretty much the most progressive but not Mm -hmm. to the levels that we're seeing so if we're not at that tipping point, my hope is that that kind of movement and that growth that we're seeing in younger generations kind of blossoms and becomes the the majority before we have to hit rock bottom. But right. I, I, yeah, I don't know. But who knows? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I also think that there's rock bottom. There's going to be different levels of rock bottom. And I think that like people are going to experience rock bottom so differently you know or there are gonna be people who don't feel a thing <laughs> with rock bottom and actually maybe do better well it mm-hmm. will do better um and then there are going to be people who are completely crushed you know and so it's hard because even that's going to be so nuanced that it's easy for people to still put blinders on that are you know at the top of things and maybe not directly affected that they you know that um to even deny that it's really that bad Right. And I think that's, I mean, that's the history of every political movement. I mean, you see that. I mean, I think civil rights movement is just a great example of everyone hits their rock bottom at a different time. But it seems like a country hitting rock bottom is when the majority is then at that rock bottom. Um, Because you see the movements, I mean, when you see movements start, it is the people who started who are protesting first are the people who have hit rock bottom. Those are there. And then as more people hit, more people join until the movement's so massive that the country or the world has to adapt to it. So because I mean, lots of I mean, millions of people at this point, yes, have hit rock bottom. My where I'm unsure is if it truly is uh, a majority with enough power to kind of change everything yeah see that and i think you're right i think that issue is the power um that that there has to be enough of a majority with power before you know to that's affected before change will start to happen so yeah i think that's kind of how we can kind of identify rock bottom a little bit more that was helpful
because it's hard to even define this. Like what, what right. is, you know, and these conversations don't, don't happen. Like you don't hear these kind of conversations on the mainstream media. And I mean, yes, they only have two minutes, but you don't even see them trying to do anything. So I think if anyone who's listening, if you, if you really care about making politics and activism more mindful, it it's, it's going to have to start with you because until you have other people are not going to have those conversations for you, you need to have them with yourselves. And I even have, I mean, I've talked about it before. I have multiple family members who voted for Trump and we have some really great conversations and I will never agree with them on making that choice, right. but I'm able to really understand where the country's at from it because a lot of them were yeah. Bernie Sanders supporters who then voted for Trump because they just wanted something that wasn't the establishment. And that was basically the end of it. And they are also feeling a lot of tension and a lot of anger. And there's a lot of trying to rationalize um, what's going on. And I see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just Trump supporters yeah. are doing that. It's everyone who's opposed to him. Like there's a lot of people rationalizing and in doing that you act hypocritically a lot of the time and it kind of goes to this place and a lot of people when they do hit rock bottom some people fight and other people do anything to keep the last bit of hope they have so and i think that's an important distinction and it's not then saying okay well you voted for trump that's okay it's saying i understand why why you made this choice and why you feel this way. So now we can actually have an engaged conversation about what the issues are and what's actually happening and hopefully actually broaden minds. I don't like to say change minds because you probably never will, but you can broaden broaden minds. And once you're able to have these conversations, you realize that you agree on a lot more than you thought you did. And once you're at that point, then you can come up with solutions. Once you say, oh, we agree on these things and we disagree on this, this thing, that's actually not that important. So we can act easily compromise here and we're fixing the main solution. And, yeah. but we don't, we don't see those conversations happening on any power level, which is power the media level, right? or with politicians. I mean, we rarely see it anyways. We don't even see, I don't want to blame politicians or the media because we don't even do it around kitchen tables when we're <laughs> right, together exactly. with family. And that's what I'm so saying we, is let's even just start having these conversations around the kitchen table, you know, because right. there's there's a space where we can where we can talk about it. And I think that, you know, when you talk about your multiple family members that voted for Trump, and I think one thing that stood out to me was that you continue to be willing to engage with them. And I think that's part of the work that we have to do is recognizing that that person has their difference of opinion and you don't have to agree with that opinion. You don't have to ever, you know, like you said, the goal is not to change minds, but also not to feel victimized personally because of that person's vote. I think it's important to do that. I think when we kind of personalize and and feel, and I I get the, you know, it can be painful finding somebody who, you know, you were close with um, voted a certain way. And I definitely understand that. But I think that when we, feel when we personalize it and and kind of um come at it from that perspective then we're not willing to listen and so i think that willingness to not take it personally on your part is a big part of that of of how we engage right and i it's it's interesting because i feel 
a lot of people talk about the government. And I, I don't, I don't, I, I hear it on every side with every kind of political ideology you can have about the government being the problem. And I don't feel people ever ask themselves, well, what is the government? The government is literally just something that humans created as a concept made up of humans. So we're talking about changing the conversation around the dinner table. And that is the most powerful way we can change the government because the government is just made out of people. It's people who have grown up around kitchen tables where no one agreed and then they go get elected (laughs) and then don't agree. If we were in a society where the day-to-day interactions we were having were more mindful, our government would be more mindful. I mean, yes, if you're in a dictatorship, maybe not, but in the way, the way our country is still structured and there's issues with it that make it harder for this to be a reality, but it's still very much a reality that if we were being more mindful every day with the people around us and enough of us were doing that, we would start to see changes of the macro level all the way through what the government is doing. Yeah, I agree. Well, so let's start having those conversations. <laughs> right. <laughs> and start the conversations here. I mean, so many people are on social media. And if you have topics you would like us to discuss or, or things you want to talk about, create your own platform to do so. Because um, even if no one, even if we only have five viewers that are all your family members, you're expressing yourself, which helps your self-care. Plus, those are five people who are, at a minimum, getting to know you better and understand you better and share the experiences you've experienced. Yeah, very true. I love that. Okay, so we're going to end with a quote. I had to, um, yeah, I think this one's better. So this is Pema Chodron. The most fundamental harm we can do to ourselves is to remain ignorant by not having the courage and the respect to look at ourselves honestly and gently. Mm, I think that very much sums up our entire conversation. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys. Yes. And join us on Twitter or Facebook at civil D TV. Have a wonderful week. Bye everybody.